the way I explain it to people is that there is t- there are two broad reasons for that. Number one, happier people are naturally going to make better lifestyle choices. Naturally, right? If you feel pretty content with the state of your life, you're less likely to dive into a tub of Ben and Jerry's in the evening. You are less likely to need half a bottle of wine or five beers every night to help you unwind if you feel happy and content with your life. So happier people are naturally going to make better lifestyle choices. I think people will intuitively understand that. But Doug, it goes beyond that, right? It really does. There's research that shows even when you account for lifestyle, happier people are healthier, right? One of the best studies that illustrated this was a study of nuns, right? And these nuns were tracked throughout their entire life. And what was amazing about these nuns is they had the same lifestyle, same diet, same movement, same sleep, same lifestyle, but they could see very clearly that the happier nuns were significantly healthier throughout their life and they lived significantly longer, right? Lifestyle's the same, but happiness determines health and longevity. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and returning to the podcast today is Dr. Ragan Chatterjee. Dr. Chatterjee is regarded as one of the most influential medical doctors in the UK and wants to change how medicine will be practiced for years to come. His mission is to help 100 million people around the globe live better lives. He hosts the most listened to health podcast in the UK and Europe, Feel Better, Live More, which regularly tops the Apple podcast charts. The podcast has received 50 million downloads to date and is consumed by over 2.5 million people every month. He is known for his ability to simplify complex health advice and finding the root cause of people's health problems. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, welcome back to the podcast. Doug, really excited to be back on the show. Really, really good to see you again. Yeah, it's good to see you too. And it's the beauty of podcasting and technology allows people from all over the world to connect on one screen. And I'm super excited to chat with you. You got a new book that will be out by the time I release this called Happy Mind, Happy Life. And for somebody like you, you've become so successful in the UK, best-selling author, have a podcast that's thriving. You're a highly sought-after expert in the medical community, and you've, attributed, you've achieved a lot of success. And I think many would think, well, Rangan's achieved all of this. His mental health is, is stable. It's good. He's always happy with himself. But I know that's not always the case as you kind of write out in your book. So what has been like a moment recently where you've experienced some success, but at the same time, you just noticed that your happiness just wasn't up to par with your level of success. And how did you get through that? Yeah, it's a great place to start, Doug. Honestly, that hasn't happened much recently. As I outlined in the book, I honestly am sitting here today talking to you, 44 years old, I've never felt this happy or this content with my life. And very little of that is to do with these kind of external metrics of success. Now, the truth is, Doug, for much of my life, external validation is what I needed in order to feel good about myself. That's what's driven me for much of my life. And I've sort of unpicked in the book where I think that's come from. But there's a wider point here, which I think is that many of us myself included in the past, confuse happiness with success. We think they're the same things. And for most of us, they're simply not. For most of us, they're separate things. Now, they can overlap some of the time. They can definitely overlap if we're intentional about making those choices. But too many of us are caught up in society's definition of success, which is 
a better job, a promotion, a better salary, a nicer car, a nicer holiday, a nicer phone, a nicer hotel when we're on holiday. And we work ourselves into the ground trying to get those things. And many people do end up getting those things only to realize there was no pot of gold there when they got there. This is so, so common. And, you know, for me, there's a wider point here, which is we talk a lot about stress these days and burnout. And, you know, we talk about techniques to help, meditation, journaling, breath work, exercise, movement. I talk about these things as well, right? No problem with that. But I think we need to sometimes ask ourselves the question, why are so many of us chronically stressed out? Why are so many of us chronically burnt out? Why do we need so many of these stress management techniques? Why, you know, what's going on in society? Are we chasing the wrong things? For much of my life, I was. Many of my patients are chasing the things that they think are going to bring this happiness. But in reality, it's not going to. And in the process of chasing it, they're actually giving themselves anxiety, insomnia, depression, all kinds of physical health ailments. And, and I think it's a big, big problem. Yeah, you're right. Because a lot of people, they define their level of success based on how happy they are with their lives. And we all know that we're not always going to be happy 100% of the time. And then they also will say, well, if I have this much success, I'm going to infinitely be happy. So I guess diving into that, because there is this, these extremes, right? Like you can't be, obviously, you know, you can be successful and that's not going to necessarily guarantee you happiness, but you can't just say, well, I'm just going to do the bare minimum and be happy with just who I am and where I'm at. Because in many cases that can cause disruption in our lives. And it, it seems based on what you said at the beginning of our conversation, you've got it down to where you have a good balance on your ability to strive and achieve success, but also be happy with yourself internally. So with that said, like what have been some of your like key secrets, key tactics that you've used in your life over the years to ensure that the way you feel about yourself is driven from an internal state and not an external state? Yeah, it's been a long journey. You know, I'm 44 years old now. I don't think I was truly happy and content with myself and the state of my life until the last few years. So it's not as if I've always known this and practiced this. I very much have been seduced by society's definition of success for much of my life. And, you know, I think for many of us, myself included, the last few years have really cause a lot of reflection about what is truly important in life you know depending on where you live on the planets there would have been different levels of restrictions to the way you may have wanted to live your life and of course you know i'm not getting into the pros and cons of various things that's clearly very controversial people have got different opinions on that but i think it's fair to say that a lot of us have reflected on life and what it means and i've i've learned in the last two years that i am you know, you're right. I, I have all the metrics of societal success. I have. You know, I'm a, a medical doctor. I've had my own primetime TV show. I I host the biggest health podcast in the UK and Europe. I've just published my fifth international bestseller. Right? I get it. On the outside, it's like, yeah, okay for you, mates. Okay, you've got all this stuff and now you're talking to us about happiness. Sure, but a lot of that stuff I actually didn't feel good with. Like, I'm proud of the work. I'm proud that it helps people. But... I actually didn't feel content underneath, you know. Uh, I was very, very prone to feeling bad after criticism, which I've learned comes from a feeling of deep insecurity. If you are truly secure in who you are and what you're doing, actually the words of other people don't really bother you that much. The, the criticism doesn't bring you down so much and the praise doesn't artificially elevate your ego. You're just a lot more flat and content a lot of the time. So there's a very simple exercise. The book is full of practical exercises. All of them are completely free of charge. No one has to spend any money actually doing any of these things, which is something I'm really, really proud of. It's a very simple exercise people can can do right now, right? They can ask themselves, and Doug, you can do it, and we can maybe go through it if you want, which is, if I was to ask you, what are three things that you could do this week and every week that if you did them would give you a deep sense of happiness? Have you got an idea of what those three things might be? I mean, off the top of my head, 
for sure, like taking care of my health. Two would be spending time with people who bring the best out in me. And three is practicing some sort of solitude or prayer or being out in nature to kind of give me some peace of mind. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And do you think you manage to do those things every week? For the most part, I at least hit for sure two out of the three. You know, sometimes, I, I mean, fitness is, is, as you know, is a, is a staple of my life no matter what. So that's always there. The social aspect has kind of had ebbs and, ebbs and flows. And not just over the last couple of years, I find myself sometimes when I'm focused on a work project, like I'm in it and I'm just narrow minded and focused. And sometimes I have a hard time shutting it down. And being like, I need to just close the computer and just go out with some friends and just forget about work for a night or two. But then I also, throughout the last few years, have really gotten into to hiking more and spending out, spending more time in nature and gaining solitude in that way. And typically, when I'm busy with work, I will either do one or the other. I'll either make sure I get out in nature and, and stay in prayer and practice that sort of things, or I will make sure to spend time in community. When... Those three, I wouldn't say they might happen in the same week, maybe like 50% of the time. Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating hearing that because you clearly know, you know, what's important to you and you, you know, you obviously as much as possible trying to focus on those things. The point of this exercise is not to make people feel bad. It's about awareness and intention. So the first part is what are three things that you could do each week that really would make you happy? I call these three happiness habits. And then the second part of the exercise is to go to the end of your life. So imagine now you're on your deathbed, Doug, right? Looking back on your life, what are three things you will want to have done? Probably made a significant contribution to the world, like staying true to my mission and my purpose and making sure that I left this earth, really doing a lot of good for the world, being a great dad, being a great husband, like raising a a happy and healthy and successful family and then i guess third is just just knowing that i gave it my best every single day and those are three things that come to my mind like off the bat yeah i love that and then the idea is then you go back to the happiness habits and go okay if i do these three happiness habits regularly will i get that happy ending that i just defined that i want and for many people for example doug they do this exercise and they go well at the end of my life I'm going to want to have spent quality time with my friends and family. And then they look at their week-to-week life and go, man, I'm too busy. Like, I'm literally too busy to do that. And again, it's not about beating yourself up because that in itself can become problematic. You know, a lack of compassion for oneself has been associated with all kinds of poor outcomes, whether that be motivation, physical health, emotional health, mental health, happiness, whatever it might be. Self-compassion is really, really important. There's a whole chapter in the book on self-compassion. But the point is, is that you may realize like many people do, like you see this with women, you see this with men a lot, right? That actually they neglect their friendships as they start working. You know, I had this patient a few years ago, 37-year-old chap called Stuart. And from the outside, it looked as though he was crushing life. Okay, he ran his own business. He drove a sports car. He was making good money. He was working on his terms, right? When he wanted to, which happens to be every weekend and every day. And he came in to see me saying, Dr. Chashi, I'm really worried that I've got depression, And I said, what's going on? He says, well, you know, some days I lie in bed. I don't want to get out of bed. Some days I feel I've got no motivation. I feel really low. I feel indifferent about life. And I said, okay. So I was, I did some tests. I was chatting to him more. And then I asked him, you know, when, what do you do? Do you ever, you know, spend time with your friends? And he said, doc, I'm too busy running this business. Like, you know, I don't have time for that. I see what they're up to on Instagram or Facebook. I kind of feel I know what's going on in their lives, but I don't have time to see them. And that's the funny thing, Doug, about life these days is that, you know, you mentioned at the start all these benefits of screens. And of course, there are many benefits. You know, I probably wouldn't know you or have had be having my second conversation with you. It wasn't for technology. So for that, I'm very, very grateful. But for many of us, we are using technology as a substitution for real life connection. And I could see that with Stuart. And I said, Stuart, listen, for the next few weeks, until the follow up with me in six weeks, I want you to see one of your friends in person at least once a week. And when you do, put your phone away. 
So you're really present for that interaction. With everything getting more and more expensive, I am constantly looking for new ways to cut costs and find savings and also help my personal training clients do the same. That's why when it comes to buying my organic groceries and household goods, I am all about Thrive Market. With Thrive Market, you can shop everything from healthy pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood to frozen fruits and vegetables and non-toxic beauty products. And they are all delivered right to your door. Thrive Market carefully vets every product they carry so you can trust that if it's there, it's the best. Finding savings on items that matter most to you is easy with Thrive Market. You can find what you need because they have over 5,000 food, home, and beauty products. So if you're looking for plant-based, keto, or gluten-free, Thrive Market has you covered. Some of the things that I've really been enjoying from them lately are their chicken breasts, their fish, and their frozen veggies. Plus, when you shop with Thrive Market, you can save time and gas by not having to make that trip to the store because you can buy everything you need online. And best of all, if you happen to find a lower price elsewhere, Thrive Market will match it. So join Thrive Market today to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash Doug Fitness to get 40% off your first order and a free gift worth over $50. That's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. Again, it's thrivemarket.com slash Doug Fitness. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I have been using for quite some time now. Lately, I have been trying to use it as an alternative to coffee as I am trying to cut back. I can say I think it might be working. Using it can be as simple as adding it to a smoothie or mixing it with water or your favorite nut milk. Cacao Bliss starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to earthechofoods.com slash Doug Again, it's earthechofoods.com slash Doug to check it out and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. Now, you know, Doug, I appreciate this probably wasn't the probably wasn't the prescription he was expecting from me, but that was the prescription I gave and he was desperate. He goes away six weeks later. He comes to see me. He almost bounces through my door. He is literally, you know, smiling. He's got a great energy. I said, hey, how are you getting on? And he said, Doc, I feel like a different person. I feel I've got my mojo back. I'm feeling motivated. Life feels really good. I said, what happened? He said, well, look, I I did what you said. Every Sunday initially, I'd get together with one of my friends in the local cafe and we would chew the fats over, you know, over a coffee And then after three weeks, we thought, why don't we actually get some of the guys together for a game of five-a-side football or soccer every Wednesday night after work? And I'm telling you, within six weeks, this guy was like a different person. Now, I saw him for several months after that. He didn't go down. He just went up, right? Bit by bit, he started to feel better and better. He did not have an antidepressant deficiency in his life. He had a connection deficiency, a friendship deficiency. And when we corrected that friendship deficiency, everything else in his line started to come back, right? So one small change, seeing his friends, led to the five-a-side football game. Okay, great. Then he realized how unfit he was and how he can no longer play like he used to when he was at school. So he goes to bed a little bit early. He's no longer binge-watching box sets at midnight. He's eating a little bit better, bit by bit, The guy is absolutely thriving. And in another reality, he could have easily been prescribed an antidepressant and still be taking that today, right? So for him, here's the other thing, Doug, right? His friends all thought he was crushing it. They thought, hey, Stuart's doing really well, right? And that's the beauty. There's a chapter eight in in the new book is called Have Massless Conversations. I make the case of why these conversations with really good friends, if you're lucky enough to have them, 
are so nourishing for your happiness and your health because it's only with those people who you can truly be yourself. So what do I mean by being yourself? You don't have to perform. You don't have to put on an image of yourself. You don't have to worry about judgment. You can just show up as the person you really are, like Stuart could do. With me, who can I do that with? It's really my university friends, my wife and my family, right? They're the people who I can actually... You know, I'm not Dr. Chatterjee, this kind of influencer podcast says with those guys. I'm just wronging, right? I just rock up. They knew me before all this. They were going to know me after all this. And you feel like your load is lightened when you do this. And, you know, his friends thought that he was crushing it and he wasn't. But it's not just that, right? When we reveal ourselves to other people, we start to reveal who we are to ourselves. So he got to understand himself better it's through these interactions with others. So going back to this exercise, Doug, right? Stuart, I didn't do that exercise with him, but Stuart very much was one of those guys who actually was neglecting the true things in life that made him happy. And this isn't about choosing between success and happiness. He can still run his job. He can still run his business. He just now knows that he has to prioritize each week seeing his friends. And when he does, all kinds of knock-on effects happen in their life. And many people, when they do this exercise that we just went through, Doug, and that's just one of many different kinds of exercises that I put in the book to help people. The reality is, is that many people will say, at the end of my life, I want to have spent time with my friends and family but they don't have time week to week. And it's not about beating people up. It's about bringing that intention. So for me, Doug, you you answered yours. What are my three? At the end of my life, I want to have made a meaningful impact on the world. I want to have spent quality time with my friends and family. And I want to have had time to pursue my passions. So for me, I know if each week, and I've specified it on my fridge at home, if I have five meals with my wife and kids where I'm not thinking about work, where I'm completely present and not distracted. If I do that week in, week out, I know at the end of my life, I'm going to tick off the relationship box. If every week I record an episode of my podcast, which is making a meaningful impact on the lives of other people, I know at the end of my life, I will have ticked off that box. And if each week I have time to play my guitar or go for a run or play a bit of snooker, well, I know at the end of my life, I will have ticked that box of having had time to pursue my passion. So it's a very simple exercise that brings intention to our life. And this stuff is not spoken about enough in the context of health. As you know, Doug, I like you and passionate about food, movement, sleep, stress management. But the reason I wrote this book on happiness is because actually this is a missing link in health. Happier people are healthier. And a lot of people don't realize that happiness is a skill. It's a skill that you can develop, practice and work on if you know what to work on. And just to finish this point, Doug, right? You're different to me. You've got different preferences in life to what I've got. But we're probably not as different as we might think. We know with a high degree of certainty, what are people going to say at the end of their lives? How do we know that? Palliative care nurses tell us over and over again, what do people say on their deathbed? They say all kinds of things like this. I wish I'd worked less. I wish I'd spent more time with my friends and family. I wish I'd allowed myself to be happy. And Doug, this one is the one that gets me every time. I wish I'd lived my life and not the life that other people expected of me, right? This is the big one, right? Many of us, are. uh, we know what we're going to say, yet we're not living in harmony with that. And I'm not saying you have to give up everything and suddenly be a hermit and spend all your time meditating and seeing your friends. No, I'm saying there is a way to have both. And we've gone off track. And sometimes instead of focusing on more health things to do, maybe bringing a bit more intentionality to your life and what your priorities are and what you're focusing on, you are automatically going to find yourself making better decisions. And you are automatically going to find yourself feeling a lot healthier. Right. We both know the importance of physical health and how physical health and mental health go hand in hand and vice versa, right? If you're feeling off mentally, chances are you, you're you probably going to be less motivated to do the things that improve your health. You're, you're going to be less motivated to go out with your friends and so on and so forth. And the opposite is likely also true, right? If your physical health is depleted, 
then you're going to feel less about yourself. Your confidence is going to go down all these things. But for you, like when, what was the point in your practice or in your life where you realized like, all right, I've been working with my patients on their nutrition. I've been working with my patients on their health. I've been, you know, prescribing medication when needed. Like when did it come in that you really had to dive deep into their happiness and help them like harness that skill? Yeah, the the thing for me, Doug, is I've always been interested in the root cause of why a patient is coming to see me. What's really going on here? You know, why have they presented with this symptom on this particular day? What's been going on for the past few weeks, the past few months, years? That means on this particular day, they've rocked up with this particular symptom. And what's fascinating for me is that for many years, I've said that 80 to 90% of what we see as doctors is in some way related to our collective modern lifestyles. Now, I'm not putting blame on people, Doug. I do understand that life is tough and many people simply find it too difficult to make the choices that they really deep down want to make, right? So I have sympathy for that. But for the last few years, there's been an idea niggling away at me, which is, is lifestyle the root cause or could there be something that's even more important than lifestyle and the reason i was thinking this is some of my patients would you know like people who who listen to your podcast get inspired they make some changes and they start to feel really good and then a few months later they've flipped back to where they used to be so i think well this is not knowledge because they know the information they've put it into practice for a few weeks, a few months, they felt different, so they know how good they can feel, yet they've ended up going back. And I think, okay, well, what's going on with these people? Then I thought, well, there's other groups of patients who have actually completely transformed their lifestyle. They are literally eating well, moving well, sleeping well, yet they've still got symptoms, which I think I think that's related to their lifestyle in some way. What is going on here? And I was trying to crack this. And... So I've been looking over my last 20 years, this July is 21 years of being a practicing medical doctor. So I've seen tens of thousands of patients. I was thinking, who are the patients who've truly transformed their health and happiness for good? Not just for a few weeks, not just in January, but for good. What is going on there? And I also spent a lot of time looking into the research and I've come to the conclusion that there is something that is even more important than our lifestyle. And that's our happiness. It's our mental well-being. And the research consistently shows happier people are healthier. Happier people are healthier. People who are happy with their lives and in their lives are physically healthier. Now, why is that? The way I explain it to people is that there is t- there are two broad reasons for that. Number one, happier people are naturally going to make better lifestyle choices. Naturally, Right. If you feel pretty content with the state of your life, you're less likely to dive into a tub of Ben and Jerry's in the evening. You are less likely to need half a bottle of wine or five beers every night to help you unwind if you feel happy and content with your life. So happier people are naturally going to make better lifestyle choices. I think people will intuitively understand that. But Doug, it goes beyond that, right? It really does. There's research that shows even when you account for lifestyle, happier people are healthier, right? One of the best studies that illustrated this was a study of nuns, right? And these nuns were tracked throughout their entire life. And what was amazing about these nuns is they had the same lifestyle, same diet, same movement, same sleep, same lifestyle, but they could see very clearly that the happier nuns were significantly healthier throughout their life and they lived significantly longer, right? Lifestyle's the same, but happiness determines health and longevity. And there's another study which I think is really interesting for people, like more recently, scientists took these two groups of people into a lab and they were injected with rhinovirus up their nostril. Sounds like a really awesome study to be a part of, right? Uh, What is rhinovirus? It's the bug that causes the common cold, Now, what was interesting is that you could determine, you could see who was going to get sick based upon their happiness. It was really interesting, right? The not-so-positive mood category got sick three times more often than the group who felt happy and content. 
Now let's think about that, Doug, for a minute. What I'm effectively saying is your mood state, the way you viewed your life, strongly influenced whether you were going to get sick or not from the same bug. Now, every single day, all of us are getting exposed to lots of different bugs, and usually we fight them off. This study is showing that your mood state, your happiness, your levels of contentment will hugely influence whether you get sick or not. And for me, why I spent the last year and a half really trying to simplify these concepts into a very practical guide for people is that happiness and health is strongly linked. Yet, when was the last time a doctor spoke to you about happiness, right? When was the last time we had a doctor writing a health book on happiness? It's not very common. And I think I think this link is so important that it's not widely appreciated in society. It's not widely appreciated in my profession. And happiness actually is a skill that anyone can learn. It's not something that you will one day stumble across and fall upon when there's no problems in your life. And it's something you can work on. And that's what I'm very proud of the book. It's it's literally decoded the skill of happiness and helped people understand what they have to do in order to feel happier more often. And the side effect of that is that their physical health is also going to improve. Wow. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that. And I definitely want to get into like how do we actually develop this skill of, of happiness, specifically during times that are challenging. Because I think one of the things that, that happens is when we go through moments of adversity, we're often afraid to go into those moments, first of all. But when we experience them unexpectedly, we think that like our life is ending and that life is for is forever going to be horrible because of that moment that we're in. And while that moment not might not be the best at that time, there's certain ways we can think about that in a way that's optimistic, which will help us get through. And I'll get to that in a second. But first, like, what is it like physiologically or uh, biologically that goes on like within our bodies where where happiness has this such a profound influence on our immunity and our physical health? Like, what's going on that is allowing our mental state to dictate whether or not we're going to catch a virus based on that study. Yeah, I think one of the ways to help people think about this is almost going to the opposite, which is what happens if we're not feeling happy? What are what are some of the states that are associated with not being happy and content, right? Well, anger, resentment, inability to forgive these sort of things right we're very very common many people struggle with them they hold on to anger they can't forgive they hold on to resentment well the research is very clear on this dr gabor Mate actually outlined a lot of this in his last book that these traits are strongly associated with the development of conditions like autoimmune disease and cancer now i want to be very clear associated with right? I know these things are very sensitive. So I'm absolutely not putting blame on anyone when I say that. I'm just trying to share what the research is indicating, right? This emotional stress is real. We don't think about it. We think if I eat well, if I move my body, if I sleep, but that's great. But if I talk negatively to myself, if I can't forgive other people, if I overly allow the actions of other people to affect how I feel, you are creating internal emotional stress. And that emotional stress will have to be dealt with in some way. You will have to neutralize it. And often we go to what I call junk happiness habits in order to do that. So, you know, I mentioned happiness. Perhaps I should explain what I mean when I say happiness. Because, Doug, you could you could say the term happiness to 10 people and I think they'd come up with 10 different uh, interpretations of what happiness means. When I say happiness, I mean something that I call in the book core happiness, C-O-R-E, core happiness. This is the type of happiness that I believe every single human being really, really wants. And this is not about having a smile on your face the whole time. This is not about waiting for life to be perfect, for the world around me to be a certain way, for people around me to treat me a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about. Core happiness has three components. And I want people to think about this as a three-legged stool, the core happiness stool. There are three legs. Each of the legs is separate but essential. And if any one of these legs starts to weaken or collapse, your feelings of happiness will also start to weaken and collapse. So what are these three legs? 
Alignment, contentment, and control. Alignment is when the person who you really are inside and the person who you are being out there in the world are one and the same. Contentment is when, the you know, what are the things that you can do that make you feel calm, that make you feel content, that make you have that feeling of peace about your life and your decisions. And control is not about controlling external events. Now, that's not what I mean. The last few years have shown us that the world is going to do what the world is going to do, whether we want it to be a certain way or not. If you're trying to control that, you're actually going to make yourself very, very unhappy. I'm talking about a sense of control. What is it that you can do that gives you a sense of control? Because people who have a sense of control over their lives, they have higher motivation, higher levels of social maturity. They earn more money. They're healthier. They're happier. And conversely, people who don't feel a, a sense of control over their lives have higher levels of psychological stress. Now, here's the thing about this model of happiness, Doug. Each one of those three legs can be worked on and strengthened just as if you go to the gym and do bicep curls every day, you know you're going to get stronger and bigger biceps. I don't need to persuade you of that. You know that. Everyone listening to the show right now knows that. I'm making the case that happiness can be worked on just like your bicep muscle, if you know what to work on. And and the book is full of simple practices that will help people work on these three legs of the stool. You're working on alignment. You're working on contentment. You're working on control. You're not working on happiness. The side effect of working on those three things is that you are going to feel happier more often. What You know, alignments, right? We just mentioned that exercise of trying to figure out at the end of your life, what are you going to say? How can you live your life, your week-to-week life more intentionally with that end goal in mind? That's going to help you feel more aligned. You're suddenly going to start bringing that intention into your life. You're going to strengthen the alignment leg of the stool. So therefore, your happiness is going to start going up a little bit. So that's the model. I mentioned junk happiness. Junk happiness is the opposite of core happiness. Junk happiness are those things that we often turn to when we want to avoid something or distract ourselves like alcohol, sugar, gambling, drugs, not, you know, mindlessly scrolling Instagram for three hours, online pornography, which is a huge problem these days, whatever it might be. Now, I'm not saying junk happiness habits are always bad. Not at all. What I'm simply saying is that junk happiness habits are problematic when we engage in them too often, or we make the mistake, or we make the mistake that they are making us truly happy and content when the truth is they're not. And so even having a name for those habits, I think is really helpful for people to go, yeah, that's my junk. We know junk food, right? We, we all know the term junk food. These are junk happiness habits. And I'm just trying to bring a bit more intention and awareness. And what I'm trying to make the case for is that actually you can work no matter who you are, If you feel stressed out and close to burnout, right, the tools in this book are going to help you. If you feel the life's pretty good, but you could possibly be getting more out of it than you currently are, these same tools are going to help you as well. So there's core happiness and there's junk happiness. And when we don't feel good in ourselves, when we're trying to avoid things, when we can't forgive people, when we let that person who cuts us up in traffic ruin our day, you are going to move towards junk happiness habits, which ultimately are not going to help you. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the junk happiness habits too, because sometimes it's not necessarily adding in something into our lives, it's subtracting it, right? And with with that said, I know you go deep on this subject into your book, and it's clearly a, a big passion of yours is training this skill of happiness. I guess my question is, imagine you have like a listener calling into your podcast live and asks, you know, Dr. Chatterjee, like I'm struggling to find happiness. I'm struggling to work on this skill. And if you could leave them with like three simple tips that you talk about in the book for this listener to take and implement after they get off your podcast, that could work somewhat effectively and efficiently right away. Like what would they be? Yeah, I mean, picking three, let's have a thing. I mean, there's probably over 20 in the books. Let me try and provide a selection. Okay, first of all, I'd encourage people to do, I'd encourage this person to do that exercise that we went through, right? This will help you. But the wider point in, right? The listener, the, the caller is saying, I'm struggling, 
Right. So what's the principle? The principle is let's go back to first principles. Fine. I understand that you're struggling. The first principles are there are three legs to work on. Alignment, contentment, and control. Okay, fine. Let's work on those legs one by one and you're going to find yourself start to feel happier more often. So that exercise we did about the three weekly happiness habits that you could do and the three things that you're going to say on your deathbed, very, very powerful exercise that I use with many patients, really helps them bring things into sharp focus. With Stuart, had I known that exercise back then, I would have done it with him and he would have very quickly realized, man, I'm not seeing my friends. I'm not nourishing that really important part of my life, right? That would have helped him make that subtle change. But for someone else, it could be something else. So first thing, do that exercise. Second thing, this is a slightly longer one, but it's my favorite one. And it's the one that's had the biggest impact on my own life. So I, I want to share this one next, so that's okay. Here's the problem with happiness, Doug, for many people. We think it's dependent on people around us behaving in a certain way with us. But the problem is, if we think we can only be happy when people act in a certain way with us, we're basically saying that someone else is responsible for my happiness. That person has the power to influence whether I feel happy or not. And the way this plays out, like I mentioned someone cutting you up in the roads, like, you know, in traffic, and you getting annoyed and taking the disempowering narrative. Man, I can't believe that person did that. They shouldn't be driving. They need to get their eyes checked you know, whatever it might be, that disempowering narrative, many people listening right now will know that feeling. And then have a think back to what you did afterwards. Were you feeling calm? Did you feel good? Or did you need to neutralize that emotional stress in some way at the sugar machine or with a candy bar or cookie or chocolate? You know, what was it? Because it probably wasn't helping you. Uh, It could be an email from your boss that you go, man, I can't believe my boss spoke to me like that. They should know better. I was working last weekend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are what we call disempowering narratives that create emotional stress in our body. And the tip is, in every situation of social friction, can you reframe it? Can you create what I call a happiness story? So what does that look like? Well, that could be the person who cut me up in the road. Okay, what's a happiness story here? Okay, uh, maybe that person has got a sick parent and they're rushing out to get something and they're not concentrating. Maybe that person's child was up last night with earache and they're exhausted. You know, maybe that person's on the way to their work and they think they're going to lose their job, right? It doesn't matter. Actually, the truth of the situation doesn't really matter for your happiness. What matters is that you create a narrative around that that makes you feel good, happy, and calm. And there's many tips in the book on how you can do that. You know, I say, what story could you create to make that person a hero? It's a very helpful way to think about it. Uh, Another way you can think about it is you could say, if I was that person, I'd be doing exactly the same as them. Now, what that means is if I was that person with their childhood, with the bullying they had as a kid, with the toxic first boss that they had, with the parents they had, if I had lived their life, I would be thinking and acting in exactly the same way as them. And what it does is it helps you become much more compassionate, yes, to other people, but also to yourself. And it's very easy from that point to start reframing situations. And I've got to tell you, Doug, I've been doing this for five years and it is a skill that you can get better at to the point now where I can do this in the moment 90% of the time, not 100%. You know, there are still times when I'll take the disempowering narrative, but in those situations, I've got an awareness now. Oh, wrong. And you took a disempowering narrative. That's not really helped you. Okay. You've fallen into that trap again. Uh, and Doug, if people think that, you know, what difference is that going to make or why should I do it? Well, first of all, I'd say, well, you don't have to do it. You know, just ask yourself, how is taking the disempowering narrative working out for you? How does it make you feel when you think the world is against you and that everyone's behaving in a certain way that's not helping you? If you think that's helping you, fine. If you're happy and content like that, I'm not trying to change you. Well, I'm trying to offer you a suggestion to say you can actually learn the skill of reframing where actually you feel in control of the situation. And and when you do this, this is the beauty, Doug. This helps you feel more in control, right? That's the other leg of the core happiness tool. Because otherwise you feel out of control that 
you know, my inner emotions are down to other people when they behave in a certain way. When my wife, when my partner, when my boyfriend acts in a certain way, I'm going to be happy. Now, I have fallen into that trap for much of my life and I I share in the book that actually you can get to the other side of that very, very quickly if you practice this regularly. Now, Doug, I just want to say, if someone says to you or to me, yeah, that's okay for an email, that's okay in the car, but there are some situations in life where it's too dr- it's too difficult to do that. Sure, I-, I appreciate it. Some situations are really tricky to do that. Well, let me just share with you one of the most powerful conversations I've had in my entire life. It was on my podcast about two years ago. It was with a lady called Dr. Edith Eager. I mean, she's incredible. Your audience, hopefully they've heard that conversation you had with her. And there are many things about that conversation that I think about. For people who haven't heard my one yet or your one yet, Doug, Edith Eager, when I spoke to her, was 93 years old, right? When she was 16 years old in Eastern Europe, growing up there, her family got a knock on the door and her sister, her and her parents got taken. They got put on a train to Auschwitz concentration camp. Within two hours of getting there, her parents were murdered. And later that day, she was asked to dance for the senior prison guards. And there's many things I could share from that conversation, but I'll, I'll just keep it to a couple. The first thing she said to me is she said, Dr. Shastri, I never forgot the last thing that my mum said to me. She said, Edie, nobody can ever take from you the contents that you put inside your mind. So when I was dancing, I wasn't dancing in Auschwitz. In my mind, I was dancing in Budapest Opera House. I had a beautiful dress on. There was a full house there. The orchestra was playing. I thought, this is pretty incredible. Her parents had just been murdered. She's in the hell of Auschwitz. And she has managed to reframe a certain situation in her mind. You know, this other thing she told me, which, you know, you know, people can listen to mine or your conversation with her. But the final thing she said to me, Doug, was, Dr. Chastji, I have lived in Auschwitz and I can tell you this. The greatest prison you will ever live inside is the prison you create inside your own mind. Now, Doug, that is what most people in the world, this is what I, for most of my life until about five years ago, did every single day. We create these mental narratives. We create this inner turmoil with the way that we view the world, and the way we approach the world. And once we learn that we have a choice in what story we put onto any situation, we can choose our perspective. And that and that choice, that perspective you put on the situation will determine whether you are unhappy or happy. And it sounds like such a simple idea, and it is, but I promise you, this has had the biggest impact in my own life. And if ever I'm struggling, Doug, to do it, I think back to Edith Eager and I think, Rongan, listen, if Edith can reframe horrendous situations in Auschwitz, you can probably reframe this situation in your own life. Now, I promise, Doug, this is a trainable skill. Try it once a week. If you can, try every night in the evening when you're feeling calm. Look back on your day. Look at one situation of social friction where you thought, you know, you took the disempowering narrative and you you created that mental turmoil for yourself and then go, well, what other story could I have written about that situation in my mind? And I promise you, do this regularly. Before you know it, you'll be reframing everything and you will find that your experience of life is completely different. You're going to walk the same streets. You're going to go to the same stores. You're going to go to the same job, but you are going to see the world through a different lens. And let me tell you, from someone who used to live in that mental prison every day to now having broken free out of that cage, I can tell you it's liberating, which is why, Doug, when you asked me at the start, I answered, I said, I don't really feel that there's been a recent example where I haven't felt particularly good where I've got confused. I used to all the time, but I've been practicing this for a good four or five years now. The reason I feel happier, more content, and therefore more physically healthier than ever, than I've ever had them before, is because of these tips and tools that I share in Happy Mind, Happy Life. It's about how you approach the world. It's how you see the world. And this is so important in the health conversation. And you know, I really want to raise awareness of this for people because it's really going to help them.
Whenever I hear parts of the Dr. Edith Eager story, I mean, I always get chills and goosebumps because I remember that same quote that you shared that her mother shared with her. I remember exactly in that in her book talking about that and how powerful it was. I want to go back a few years because you mentioned this practice and having compassion for others when somebody cuts you off in traffic or you get a bad email, you get a bad text and you talk about like reframing the situation to um, have a level of gratitude or appreciation for the situation that you didn't have before. But it seems that four or five years ago, you had this aha moment in your life that you realized you needed to change the way you saw the world, the way that you saw yourself and approach different situations. So what was going on at that time in your life? And how did you develop the awareness around something that's so challenging to do such as your thoughts, to be able to understand that that was bringing you down so much? And then how did you unlearn those unhealthy patterns? Yeah, there there wasn't like one big aha moment where suddenly it all became clear. In fact, honestly, one of the biggest aha moments in my life was that conversation with Edith. Like I literally was not the same person after it as I was before it completely changed who I was. Honestly, we often say things are life-changing. That that word gets thrown around a lot. That conversation, honestly, for me and for many of my listeners was completely life-changing. Uh, it really has helped me view life differently. Uh, look, there's been a couple of things, really, which have gone on. Nine years ago, just over nine years ago, my, my dad died. I moved back to the northwest of England to help look after my dad. Uh, dad was sick for 15 years. He confused happiness with success. He killed himself working, basically. He worked so hard. He only slept three nights a week for 30 years. Four nights a week he was working as well as in the day, which is why at the age of 57, he got lupus and autoimmune disease and ended up with chronic kidney failure. So he was chained to a dialysis machine three times a week for the last 15 years of his life. Now, I grew up with that. I saw that. I saw the impact it's had on him. And when dad died, it really was the first time for me that I started to ask all these big existential questions. You know, who am I? What am I doing? You know, am I living my life or somebody else's life? Right. So that was a big moment. And it was the learnings from my dad's death and the journey I went down that a little by little helped me gain this realization. The big thing when my dad died is soon after that, I stopped looking for the answers to my life and health out there. And I started to put the mirror up and go inward and and turn the ship around and start to figure out why do I get triggered in certain situations? Why do certain people or events bother me? Why do other things not? And really, you know, happiness is an inside job. When you go inside and you figure out what your patterning is, what your triggers are, Actually, you've, you gain a level of self-awareness over yourself that automatically makes you think differently and approach the world differently. So that's what I did. So that was a big moment. Uh, I'll also say that I have had very high levels of success, societal success over the past few years. And I think you get it enough times and you realize that it doesn't really equate. It's not really what makes you feel good. I'll share this example, which even though I know it is so unrelatable to most people, but you know, what do they say? The most personal is the most universal. So look, I I say this not, not with taking any of this for granted, but you know, I've just published my fifth book, Doug. Okay. Five years ago, my first book comes out in the UK. It was called the four pillar plan in America. It was called how to make disease disappear. Now, I remember it comes out. I'm very proud of it. It's helped hundreds of thousands of people around the world, right? So I'm very proud of the impact it's had. But I remember a few days after it came out, me and my my uni friends, my college mates, we were in a WhatsApp group and, you know, there was real excitement because it was doing really well. Like it was going up the Amazon charts and then it was in the top 10 on in all books. And then I think on New Year's Eve or something, it, it got to number one in all books in the UK in all categories. And you know, me and my uni mates were really excited. Oh my God, this is amazing. We're really proud. All this kind of stuff. Okay, great. Nothing wrong with that. Year after The Stress Solution, my second book comes out. Again, same thing happens. Takes a bit longer to get to the number one slot, but it got there. Again, we're we're sort of uh, sharing messages. People are happy. Congratulations. And you know, you're feeling pretty good. You think, okay, this is awesome. 
Year after, third book, Feel Better in Five on Behaviour Change comes out. And again, you know, it took a bit longer. And, you know, it was like, is it going to, is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, thank God it got there. Okay, great. If someone had told me 10 years ago, I would have one book published ever. I would have taken that. I would have thought, what, I'm going to be an author one day, right? But suddenly, the metrics start to change. You, By having one international bestseller and one number one book, suddenly you're now comparing your next one against that first one, which actually is a recipe for unhappiness and discontentment because now you've created an art. It's like Edith said, you create a prison inside your own brain. You think you need that to happen. Otherwise, you're not going to feel good. Otherwise, it wasn't as good. And by the time I spoke to you last year about my fourth book, Feel Great, Lose Weight, Doug, right? Incredibly, I didn't feel anything when that got to number one, right? I just felt relief, relief, not joy, relief. And I thought, wait a minute. And I I was really aware of that. And I thought, this is really interesting. If when I was a kid, you told me that I would have this level of success as an author, especially as a kid, I got my self-worth from external validation. And a lot of that was to do with how I was brought up. You know, if I was second in the class, I was always asked, why not first? If I got 99%, it was always at why not 100? And to be fair, my parents were immigrants to the UK. They faced a lot of discrimination. So in their heads, this is the way for their kids to avoid going through what they went through. You know, achieve really well, go to a good university, get a good job, you're going to be fine. The problem is I took on the belief at it when I was six or seven that I'm only worthy, I'm only loved when I've got top marks, when I've been when I've been successful. And on the outside, that can look like high levels of success. But on the inside, that's a very lonely place to be because you don't feel good in who you are, right? So you think the external validation is going to help you feel better. But when you get the extreme or certainly high levels of success that I've had over the past few years, you realize this actually doesn't make me feel happy. Like, and really interestingly, Doug, before this book came out, and as we record this, the book's been out in the UK for maybe maybe two months, coming up to two months, right? A few weeks before the book came out, I was really thinking about this and I thought, I really feel I'm in a great place. I know this is a great book, right? I say that with zero arrogance. I know this is as good a book as I can write at this moment in my life. Whether this book does well or not doesn't change that. Maybe people will buy it, maybe they won't. But I really had got very clear, Doug, that actually who I am as a person has nothing to do with the success of this book. And it was so liberating. I know, right? I think for me having, you know, my wife's amazing and she's never been interested in success, never been interested in all the flashy stuff. Not, I really haven't been interested in flashy stuff either, to be fair. But I know that my kids... They do not care whether daddy sells one book or 10,000 books or 100,000 books, but they still love me for who I am, right? And we've all got a version of that story in our own lives. What do people feel? Someone listening to this, what do you think you need to do in order to be loved? Do you feel enough in who you are? Can you look at yourself in the mirror? Okay, yeah, I, I like the person looking back at me. You know, for much of my life, I didn't. But these days, Doug, I do. I like who I am. I like the person who I show up as in the world. And the irony is, Doug, and there's probably a spiritual lesson here, is that I've never had a book that has connected this much or been this successful. And the reality is, it's done nothing. And I mean zero for my self-worth. When the publishers phoned me the week after release, I got a text message from my editor saying, can you can you give me a call? I thought, what's going on? So I phoned her. She said, wrong and got amazing news for you. This weekend, you're going to be number one on the Sunday Times paperback bestseller charts. And she said, we're all really excited. Now, Doug, I appreciate this may not be relatable, but I'm just telling the truth as I see it. This this is real in my life, and I hope this has value for people. You know what? The truth is, it was like, okay, great. It was, it was, it was nice to hear, but I didn't have an artificial ego elevation that I might have had in the past. Uh, the kids still needed feeding. I still needed to wash my daughter's sports kit before school the next day. Like, I feel I really have this deep realization now that actually that stuff doesn't make me happy. It's not that I'm not proud of that. It's not that, you know, for me, it's like, okay, awesome. That means lots of people are getting these, I think, powerful ideas that are going to transform their lives. 
brilliant. But I'm not attached anymore because I was, right? I'm not attached anymore to the book being number one or being a bestseller. These are just stories we create in our minds, right? We've all got a circle of influence in our lives, right? I'm a massive fan of that idea that we can be the change that we want in the world, right? We can make a small change and influence our own circle of influence. That may be the three people in our family. It may be our work colleagues. It may be the local sports club. It may be like you, Doug, that your circle of influence happens to be all the tens of thousands of listeners you have on your podcast. For me, yeah, same sort of thing. It could be, you know, that the people I have follow me on social media or whatever, but I'm not attached to that. I just focus on now creating the right energy in myself, leading with compassion, with positive intentions, not attaching my value to my external metrics of success. And actually, this be having this level of public societal success has really taught me that it all that it really ain't all that's cracked up to be i'm proud of it i like doing what i do i like impacting the lives of other people but does it say something about who i am no it doesn't there's people out there in charity shops there's people there's nurses out there who are not getting paid enough who are staying late working 12 hour shifts helping people right in their way right that they are no better or worse than me helping on the outside looking like hundreds of thousands and millions of people. We're all doing our bits. And I kind of feel that this kind of intentional way of living, really understanding what is important. You know, a question I often ask people when they say, well, how do I know what's driving me? You know, because this plays into health, Doug, right? This plays into health. I don't make New Year's resolutions anymore like I used to. I used to need the discipline of the resolution. But then as soon as I fell off, I would beat myself up in my head. But as I've learned to like myself and dare I say it, love myself, right? I don't need resolutions anymore. They're actually limiting. Like I will, I'll meditate for two weeks on the trot and then I might miss a few days and then I'll be like, ah, you feel better when you meditate. Okay, great. Maybe it's time to get back on it again. Rather than oh my God, I can't believe you did that. You did two weeks, you missed a day, you can't stick to it. Why couldn't you stick to it? It's a very different relationship to the same practice. And I always ask people, where does your motivation come from? Does it come from a place of lack or a place of love? Do you think that when you get somewhere, where it's a health goal, it's going to say something about who you are? Is it to prove yourself to other people? Well, if it is, you may find when you get there, you're still discontented because the motivation that comes from a place of abundance and love that actually I like the person who I am, that's the stuff that when you get there will truly nourish you. And actually the process, the journey of getting there will nourish you as well, rather than just the outcome. I I love everything that you just said. And specifically like the one like happiness trap, I guess you, you sort of hinted at where you thought that, that having a best-selling book was going to feel way better than it actually did, right? And it's not all it's cracked up to be. And I think a lot of people, Rangan, fall into that trap where they say, when I achieve this amount of wealth or if I achieve this status on social media, then I will finally be content and happy. And the reality is, as we all know, it's a big fat lie and you have to do the internal work on yourself and find out what really drives you on a soul level to find true happiness. And the other other last thing I want to say before we close is that I think what you're doing and how you're approaching success and happiness and how it's all intertwined is, is great modeling for your kids so that they're seeing how you're, how you are handling the success that you've been, that you've achieved and how that's not impacting the way you are as a person, the way you are as a spouse, the way you are as a parent. And so that hopefully when they grow up and they achieve success, they're going to still be able to focus on the small stuff and also not put their how they feel about themselves and their level of happiness, not let that be dictated by how successful they are in, in life. So I always love talking to you. Great conversation. I think people are going to get a lot out of this conversation. So if people want to buy the book, Happy Mind, Happy Life, um, where's the best place for them to do that or if they want to follow you on social media? 
Yeah, Doug, I mean, look, Happy Mind, Happy Life, the new science of mental well-being. It's available in all the usual places, both as a paperback, ebook, but also as an audio book, which I'm narrating. So I know a lot of people these days, especially people maybe listening to a podcast like this one, Doug, may like the audio book version. That's all there in the usual places. I'm on all the socials, but Instagram is probably the best place to get me at Dr. Chatterjee at DR. C-H-A-T-T-E-R-J-E-E. And hey, look, you you guys are listening already to a great show, Doug's podcast. If you want to check out another one, mine's called Feel Better, Live More. And yeah, one of those places. And uh, you know, if you if you do follow me, send me a DM and uh, let me know what you think of the book. Amazing. I will make sure to uh, include all that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Dr. Chatterjee said about his interview with Dr. Edith Eager, which I know y'all enjoyed the episode on my show as well. And I invite you to check it out on his show too. Or it was something that he said about his kids and how, you know, they don't care about whether he sells one book or a thousand. Like they just care specifically about like just who he is as a person. Or maybe it was something that he said just about the, the importance of doing the internal work. And being content with who you want to be at the end of your life and how that's going to dictate your level of happiness. Whatever it was, tag him, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.